When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? We're doing a best of AMA series, the most amazing questions and hopefully the most impactful and incredible answers. And the first one is from Natasha Shivani. Hi, Tom, my question is in relation to learning. I believe learning in itself is a skill. I've been trying to build my self-esteem around being an avid learner, but I've noticed that it's not, it, I've noticed but what I've noticed is that I'm not learning at a fast pace. Could you break down some skills required for efficient learning? I know repetition and doing things routinely over and over again is advised, but what else? If you had to break down learning skills into five simple steps, what would they be? How does one monitor efficient learning and improve on this? Um, all right, I wish I had a piece of paper and a pencil. I could actually give you five precisely, um, but I will go off the top. Okay, so number one is gonna be area of interest. I find that the biggest thing to learning is having the enthusiasm that everything that you encounter actually gives you more energy and you're excited to go down the path and there's just like, you wanna share it, you wanna tell people and talk about it. That's really, really big. So identifying the things that you enjoy learning about, um, that's really big and I'll give you an example. So Lisa, when I first met her, the thing that she loved learning about, and I don't know how to take this, uh, was serial killers, man. She went hard for that serial killer cake. And that was always really interesting to me. Like getting her to read nonfiction was next to impossible unless it was about serial killers. Now, thankfully, uh, she has found a broader array of interests other than that. But quite frankly, like don't even let me be judgy judgy about that. The whole point is to find something that you dig and start going down those rabbit holes. So that's really big. Um, number two, in terms of being efficient while you're learning is finding what method it is that you learn by. So for me, um, I can listen to things really, really fast, far faster than I can read them. Um, and then also I learn by doing. So if I go do something, it's really going to ingrain itself in my mind far more rapidly than it would if I were just reading or even listening to it. So knowing the styles in which you learn. I think that that is really important. Um, next, uh, a mad shout out to my boy Jim Quick who talks that um, about there's no bad memory, there's just a trained and untrained memory. So part of learning efficiently is being able to retain as much as humanly possible about what you learn so that every brick of knowledge is really stacking on itself and not you know like a sandcastle that just uh, dissipates before your eyes. I will say that I live in perpetual trauma over how little I remember uh, of what I read. Um, so that's always something that's been profoundly troubling. Um, so, uh, and then I'll say, um, number four, this is a little cheeky, uh, but I'll say speed reading, like learning to read faster. I find that there's just some things that I wanna learn about that aren't, uh, I don't have access to auditorily. So um, actually trying to improve your reading speed, which is a place that I'm ridiculously uh, underqualified to speak to uh, because I'm still a painfully slow reader. Um, but I have tried to push myself a little bit to speed up, but never taken anything like a um, speed reading course or anything like that. So Jim Quick somewhere right now is just deeply um, 
unhappy with the amount of energy that I've put in there and rightly so. And then five, what would I give you for a fifth in terms of being efficient at learning? I don't have an easy one that comes to mind. So there you go. You have four. I think those are four strong ones. Uh, I'm sure if I wasn't just absolutely terrified of dead air, I could come up with a fifth, uh, but that'll do for now. So next question is from Ben. Sometimes I get super motivated and decide I'm going to sort myself out and start living up to my potential, etc. This motivation lasts two or three days, even a week, but inevitably it disappears. I've realized in order to sustain this for a much longer period of time, I'm going to have to cultivate a deep desire and want for those improvements and changes. Any ideas on how I can develop that deep want and longing for self-improvement actualization and sustain that motivation? I'm fed up of failing in my efforts to make a lasting change. Okay, so I've talked about this so endlessly, so I really want to um, come at this from a a different angle and arm you guys with different tools. Um, Something that I think is really underutilized is sitting in the pain. This is not the lead thing. The lead thing, of course, is identity and values um, and just the actual act of embodying that deep desire, saying that you want to do it, letting it fill you at like a, a muscle level so that you're actually doing things that make you feel that desire and how much you want it. Okay, so, but I've talked a lot about that. Um, Sitting in the pain, I think that is really something and I think that um, shame when properly utilized can be really, really empowering but you have to understand that you can't ever let it um, be shame of who you are. It is merely shame around your behavior and understanding that your behavior can change at a moment's notice at any time and that doing something shameful does not make you a shameful person. It does not make you an unworthy person. We all do things that we're ashamed of. And the thing that has always saved me from that shame becoming crippling because I do look at it, I do stare at it, I sit in that, I allow myself to really feel it and it does not feel good. And instead of like getting that initial feeling of shame and then doing anything I can to wallow in the um, the psychological immune system which is going to tell me that no, 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 why are you feeling bad about that? You don't need to feel bad about that and just swimming around in the luxurious feeling that I shouldn't feel guilty about that, that I really should just be thinking about how that's somebody else's fault or that's a stupid thing to chase in the first place. What I do instead is I remind myself, okay, I can change it anytime. So just because I've done really dumb things in the past does not mean that I'm going to keep doing them. I'm capable of change. So it's like some part of me goes, okay, rad. It's safe to sit here for a minute. It's safe to look at how I really fucked that up, how I really did something stupid because it doesn't make me a bad person. And looking at this and letting myself feel the pain is exactly how I'm going to make the change. Now, the key part there is that I have, remember, I've let myself off the hook. I don't need to self-flagellate myself, which means essentially whip yourself or beat yourself up over it. I don't have to do that. So once I get, this is not a permanent state of affairs. This is not an indictment of who I am as a person. It's just an indictment of that behavior. And because I want to stop doing it, I need to suffer a little. And so as Ray Dalio says, pain plus reflection equals progress. I need to feel that pain. So now I've let myself off the hook. I understand that this doesn't make me a bad person, but it sucks and I don't want to keep feeling like this. So I really want to look at this for a minute and figure out what led me to do that thing. 
And I literally use that pain as um, like, if you've ever seen people that walk with that, like water, the divining rod that they use to find water, I use that as something that is leading me towards the cause of that pain. So what is the root cause of that? What is the identity or the value that I have that leads me to that behavior? And how do I get out of that? And so that is, I think, something that is really important to making um, self-improvement stick, to keeping that motivation going is, okay, I really don't wanna feel this pain anymore. I'm actually staring at and figuring out what it is that's causing that pain. And then I'm reminding myself that I can make a change at any time. Now, if none of that works, you need to read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. In the book Grit, she talks a lot about how it is very easy for any of us to get excited about something and then for that excitement to dissipate. And one of the things that I struggle with is maybe some people just don't give a shit. All right, David. The Rich Roll episode really hit me on a personal level and I was hoping you may be able to steer me in the right direction with the current situation I'm in. The relationship I'm in is still on the verge of ending because we aren't happy anymore and we haven't been for quite some time until we recently found out she's seven weeks pregnant. After giving the relationship some renewed effort and thought, I still feel we aren't right for each other. But with her carrying my child now, I feel stuck and I don't know what to do. I also know I'm only 25 and not stable or ready for this at all. Okay, well, we're going to set aside the not ready because we're already um, headed down that path. So uh, the child is coming, whether we want the child to come or not. Um, so, and look, I don't have kids, so you're just going to have to follow my logic here. But here's what everybody says, and I tend to believe the wisdom of the crowd on this one. You're never going to be ready. And so while I'll say it is a far cry from ideal to be having a kid at 25, 26, you are having a kid at 25, 26. Now, you will, I think, if you put an earnest amount of effort into um, learning about that and then one embracing the massive and wonderful change that will happen neurologically when you have that child and invest in making that as great as it can be, I think that that may become one of the, the single most beautiful things that's ever happened to you. And this becomes a framing problem. So again, the best advice that I've ever had about having a kid is have a kid, don't have a kid. It doesn't matter, but whatever you do, do it all the way. You're having a kid. Don't spend any time resenting that, regretting it, none of it. It's not going to serve you. So find a way to integrate that child into your life in a way that is beautiful and profound and amazing, and it will reward you a thousandfold if you go into doing that. Now, there are people that have achieved at every possible level in life that have kids, and the same with people that don't have kids. So I literally don't think it is a choice that really ultimately is going to make or break your life. Um, so you're going to now commit to finding the maximum amount of beauty in the situation that you're in. Okay, now setting all of that aside, I don't think that that means that you have to stay with your significant other. And I think if you define what it means to be a man to you and to be a good man, and I will just give you from my own. I'm not saying you should adopt these. Um, I am saying, however, that I believe you should adopt them. Um, but adopt whatever feels right to you. So I believe that if you wanna be somebody of high integrity, that whether you're in love with that person, whether you're going to stay with that person or not is completely irrelevant to the level of support that you provide that person, both emotional and financially. So to me, entirely to me, that child would be 50% my responsibility from a financial standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, and I would make sure that I delivered on that. And that's just 
the way that I see the world. So um, even if I wasn't staying with that person, I would make sure that they had what they needed for Lamaze classes and things like that. Um, that they had all the emotional support that they need. I would treat them like a friend and I would be there for them at every turn. And by the way, I would understand what they're going through emotionally and that it is going to be difficult, that there's going to be a lot of heartache and hurt and all of that and to still be graceful through all of that. Um, I think it will be very difficult, especially at your age, to navigate the emotion of the breakup as well as being supportive and being there. And I get that and I have no idea what your significant other is like. Um, But I just want to make sure that we separate the two issues. And I think that getting sucked into a relationship because you want to support the wife and a relationship because you want to um, support the child, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that dysfunctional relationships end up teaching the kid the wrong thing. And I think that there is a way to co-parent that creates for an emotionally... um, as emotionally positive a relationship as you're going to be able to have. Now, I also hope for the child that they will have um, a, you know, one of each in their lives, both a a father figure and a mother figure uh, in an ongoing basis, whether that's you or she gets remarried or, you know, in a relationship. Um, I think that that would be pretty effective, but that is my advice is to separate those two things out um, to understand that you could be supportive without being in a relationship Uh, and again all of this or not again but this is all predicated on the fact that you've accurately assessed that this is not a relationship that you want to be in um, which i will certainly take your word for Um, so yeah there you have it all right evan renfro you often express the belief that human potential is nearly limitless, but action is a key element that allows it. Do you feel it's a process of establishing this mindset first before action? So one must first possess the mental resilience and grit before taking on great endeavors, or do you believe the mindset comes after witnessing and experiencing some of these abilities through acting on them? Um, go back to the top for a second. So I think that mindset is really, uh, there's no way to strip it apart from action. I think that all of us are developing our mindset every day. I just think that we have to be very careful to understand that the mindset is a choice. So even if you see terrible things happening, things falling apart, that the world looks half empty, that you could still decide that the glass is half full and that you're going to make a series of decisions. And whatever you decide to believe about the way the world works, either the world's working for you or it's against you or you live, as Einstein said, in either a hostile or a friendly universe, like all of those are decisions. And you're going to see before you every single day examples of both. And if you don't see it in your own life, if your life is weighted one direction or the other, man, you need only go read autobiographies to see examples of horrifying things happen to otherwise amazing people or amazing things happening when it just seemed like nothing else could go wrong. So trust me when I say that you could go find evidence of good things happening and bad things happening and now you're just going to get to decide which which ones of those you focus on. Might I suggest that you focus on the positive, you focus on optimism only because those are the things that are going to get you to act. So here's my obsession with optimism. When you believe that your energies and efforts will be rewarded with you improving in something, making progress in something, then and only then will you put in the energy to adapt. And if you put in the energy to adapt, then you can grow and get better and actually become capable of more and thusly accomplish more in your life. If you don't believe that your energies and efforts will be rewarded with improvement, then you won't 
act. And if you're not acting, you won't adapt. If you don't adapt, then you won't progress in life. It is that simple. And I think that progress is one of the fundamental building blocks of fulfillment. If you're not moving forward in life, you're just never going to be happy. And that is just a truth, man. As a species, we seem to have something innate, something absolutely hardwired in us to want to explore and conquer is the wrong word because it has weird connotations, but I love that word, so I'm going to use it. Uh, we want to explore and conquer our environments. So that's that, that need for progress, the need to move forward. You conquer land. You want to conquer the sea. You conquer the sea. You want to conquer space. It's like, that's just what we do. All right, Caroline Hobby. That seems like it's hobby or hobby. I'm 29, currently unemployed, have studied and worked in rather non-challenging places and feel like I have no skills to offer. I never really quite knew what I want to be doing and now at my age, I'm not sure if I should just go look for a new job that I hopefully like and is more demanding, go back to studying something new or focus on becoming an entrepreneur, which I want to be doing anyway at some point, but I'm not sure what right now. Any advice for someone who's going round in circles in order to find direction in life but seems to end up nowhere. Yes, I have a really good answer for this. This is going to be super powerful. All right, here you go. Don't quit your job. Don't worry about going back to school. Do not start another business. The most powerful thing you could do right now is for the next 90 days, 90 days, love your job. Do whatever you have to do to love your job. That's it. Find a way to make it challenging. How could that be? There are a thousand ways to make it challenging. You could go in and maybe the work itself is boring, dull, and repetitive. Okay, find a way to automate it. Find a way to get the same amount done in two hours in the day and then spend the other six hours helping somebody else in the company with their tasks or multiple other people with their tasks and build that community and really go around and say, for the next 90 days, I'm going to get so efficient at my job that I can actually go help other people do their job. Do you know how many people you could stoke out by doing that? And like, a, that's going to be really hard to do, to really be effective and systematize your job and go help other people and touch uh, lives in a positive way and begin to build a community within your organization. I'm going to guess that one of the reasons that your job isn't um, filling you up is that the community itself is not very good, that there isn't camaraderie, there isn't trust, there isn't friendship. So you want to talk about something challenging? Go try to build a core group of people in that company in the next 90 days that really bond, connect with each other, and have each other's back. You have 90 days to pull it off. At day 89, those people need to be willing to go to the mat for each other. That would be hard as hell. And I promise, if you're able to pull that off, the life skills that you would have to figure that out, to put that together, what you would show yourself about fulfillment and what really matters at a job, then you can go anywhere. Also, if you get fired while you're trying to do this, that would be so powerful. The things that you would learn by really trying to add value to the company and add value to other people and see what you can get away with, what you can't because you know that your motives are pure and so suddenly you're gonna be willing to take risks if in that 90-day period you're just like, fuck it. My job for the next 90 days is to love going to this place. Now, if you're not a sociopath, to really fall in love with your job, you're gonna need to fall in love with the people. You're gonna need to connect. There's gonna need to be trust, all of that. Dude, I'm like super stoked on this like exercise right now. Anybody out there that hates their life, hates their job, wants to leave before you do, while it doesn't matter, you no longer care. You're willing to leave, you're willing to start a new business, you're willing to try anything. Just take the next 90 days and find out, come hell or high water, how you turn that place into something beautiful. Now, 
The world may resist you so hard, but you will learn something powerful. And if you hold yourself to 90 days, for 90 days, relentlessly, try to add value, to bring beauty, to do your job faster, more efficient. The amount that you will learn about yourself and the way the world works, because I don't think people understand just how much they can get away with when their intentions are really pure and they're really trying to do something beautiful for people, it's pretty crazy. And it will remind you that you're always in control. There's always something else you could try. I really hope somebody does this. And if you do it, I wanna hear about it. DM your boy, Instagram, at Tom Billy. Rabin Rye, Rabin Rye? I have keen passion on being the best motivational speaker. I've been raised by listening to your motivational videos and audios. Now I want to move forward and be a motivational speaker like you. Therefore, I would be grateful to you if you suggest how to start and what should I do to become a motivational speaker. All right, there's really two things. So I'll get the easy one out of the way first. Um, just you're gonna have to speak a lot. You're gonna have to practice and practice and practice and practice. I cannot emphasize enough just how much speaking you're gonna have to do. Uh, to give you an idea, I've been training as a speaker. Um, I, you could go all the way back to when I was 12, but I'm gonna push it forward and say certainly since I was 14. Um, from the day that I started high school, I was actively pursuing comedy and I was doing basically impromptu stand-up comedy routines an hour a day, five days a week. And then I was always trying to make my family and friends laugh so you could extend that on even more every day. Um, I used to stand in front of the mirror, uh, practice you know, doing routines in front of the mirror. Wow, that's really embarrassing to say out loud. But it is actually true. And then I did speech and debate. And so I was doing that both at the state and national level. And so I just put a lot of time into it. So that's part one. That's the easy part. Now the hard part is, don't be a motivational speaker. Go learn to do something else. Get so extraordinary that people simply cannot deny you. In doing all of that, you're going to learn the things on which your philosophy is based on because motivation shouldn't be empty hype. It should really be some shit that you have learned and you are so passionate to help other people learn it that you would give up just about anything to make that a reality. That's where my power comes from. I spent nearly 20 years building businesses and in that time have encountered every foible in myself, every insecurity, every pettiness, every difficulty, every stupidity. I've seen other people go through horrendous things and had to try to help build them up. I've had to be invisible in the background for well over a decade, just trying to build shit and figure things out. And in trying to get those puzzles together, I learned an unimaginable amount of information. And I spent decades reading and researching about the brain to try to get over my own insecurities and all of that. And then after that, in my 40s, then I started quote unquote being a motivational speaker, which I absolutely fucking hate that term because if all I ever do is motivate people, I will consider it all a waste of time. I'm not looking to do spiritual entertainment. I'm looking to help you change your mindset to the point where you go acquire skills that have utility and mean something to you that allow you to serve not only yourself, but other people and actually morph this world and your life into what you want them to be. That, pulling people out of the matrix, that is the mission of my life. So I do not consider myself a motivational speaker and I think every ounce of power that I have comes from not being a motivational speaker, but instead having garnered a set of really powerful skills. And since those skills are useful, I can talk about those skills. So that's always my advice to people. Go pursue something else. The easiest way to say it is a lot of people want to write a book, 
but they don't spend the time figuring out and learning that thing that they want to write the book about. So don't make the book about motivation. Make the book about brain science. Make the book about um, psychology. All things which will aid you in motivating people. There is no doubt, but go learn the underlying thing or one of 100,000 other things you could be pursuing. All right, last question. Peter Saraganian. Yeah, Peter Saraganian. Do you have any hacks for believing that the change is going to be worth it? or for putting yourself in a position where you feel the pain of not changing is worse than the pain of the fear of change? These, these kinds of questions are so interesting to me. So you have the self-awareness. You know what you need to be doing, but it's actually doing it. So all of this comes down to identity. So you need to be rewarding yourself for staying true to who you want to be, who you want to become. Telling people what kind of person you want to become, what kind of person you are is going to create this thing called congruence where because you said it, you want to live up to it. And because you're rewarding yourself when you do live up to it and when you act in accordance with that, that feels good. And because you punish yourself when it doesn't, when you don't live up to it and that feels lame, you're not whipping yourself or anything crazy and you're not doing some negative downward spiral that tears yourself apart, that would be a stupid waste of time. Instead, you're finding that balance. 80% of the time, you're talking about how amazing you are, you're earning credibility with yourself, you're looking at all the things that are good, that are beautiful, that you're helping bring into the world. 20% of the time, and never more, not under any circumstance, you're looking at the negative things, the places that you're falling, you're failing. If you learn to do that, the reward and punishment, you do it in a balance that doesn't destroy you but builds you up, then all of a sudden it becomes really easy to stick to it because you want to be that person. You want to feel those things. You want to be capable of those things. And this is, this is the one that I think people really miss. Skills have utility. Now, what do I mean by that? The thing that makes life cool is you can do shit. You can build a house. You can run fast. You can jump a car. You can um, touch somebody's life. You can make somebody's problems go away. You can build buildings. You can move mountains, whatever. Real things, real things in life. You have a set of skills that let you do real things. They let you write a book. They let you read a book. They let you make a movie. They let you swim fast. They let you give a great massage. They let you be a great conversationalist. They let you um, save a child who otherwise just wouldn't know love. This is the point. This is why you go get skills. They let you do things. But somewhere along the line, Skills became about resumes, they became about checking boxes, and they stopped being about the kid that you help. And the joy of your life is going to be where you get back to that, that you're acquiring these skills because they let you do something that means something to you, that fill you with joy, they fill you with fulfillment. And when you get to that, you want that. That shit is like a drug, man. And then nobody's gonna have to push you for it because you've gotten good at the reward and punishment. You know what you're building towards. All this, these skills that you're working so hard to acquire, they actually let you do something. And that something lights you on fire. And whatever that something is, it can be totally unique to you. It does not have to be saving a child. It could be whatever. It could be flying drones. It could be playing video games. But it lets you do something that really amps you up. All right, Jacob Stoll. As I write this, I currently have no money in the bank. I've been running my own production company for over a year now, living check to check. I'm 22 years old and constantly struggle between doing what I love to do or doing things that will make money. Often I find myself picking up random jobs just to pay the bills. Money isn't a huge necessity to me at the moment, but I would like to make 
a lot to be able to give back, travel, and enjoy life. I have no kids or serious responsibilities besides paying rent, gas, food, etc. My question is, do you think I should focus on the business of what I love to do while struggling financially, or do I also do something on the side that will make me money? I feel like you're definitely going to tell me to do what I love, but how do I find the balance? How can I make money and still do what I love? Okay, so here it is. I'm not the burn the ships at the shore guy. So I get it. And when I hear stories like that, oh man, it gives me chills, makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It is so fucking cool to hear people like, man, we're taking this fucking island. We are burning the ships. There's no going back. We're only going forward. And it's rad in a story. It is rad in a story. And I lean on stuff like that as a metaphor occasionally to be like, fucking burn the ships. But the reality is, man, I protect my downside. So I highly encourage you to balance your actual time between something that's going to allow you to keep doing what you love and still eat. So there may be other things you can do other than just make money. There are certainly, meaning, uh, for example, I'll finish that thought, that I used to manage apartment complexes. And the reason that I did it was to have, in some cases, dirt-free, dirt-free, free or dirt-cheap rent. So um, that is, things like that are an option, getting roommates, Um, One of the guys here um, lives in student accommodations, even though he's no longer a student, but I thought that was pretty clever. And his rent is ridiculously cheap. So, but he's willing to accept that his living conditions are quite literally a dorm. And he's been living in a dorm essentially for five years. So um, you have to accept some push and pull on that. Uh, So, but that's what I would suggest. I would say find a way to allocate as much time to what you love as humanly possible, but recognizing that knowing that you're going to be able to eat and keep a roof over your head is a very good thing. Um, So, yeah, that is the, the sense of balance. Now, I think that you can also find a job that will pay you to do what you love. They are not easy. It's going to force you to ask some really hard questions on the way in. It's going to force you to kiss a lot of frogs before you find that prince. But it certainly is possible to find a job where you're doing what you love. And then just as I'm sure that you know from being an entrepreneur, that nothing is always fun. There are days here at Impact Theory where I want to punch myself in the face because what I'm doing for the day sucks and is no way enjoyable. But it's just the reality of the things you have to get done in order to get back to the stuff that you really love. That's why you should believe in the thing you're trying to accomplish and enjoy the things you do on a day-to-day basis just because it's never going to be an ever-inclining ramp of joy. Shannon, I'm a 29-year-old single female who left the corporate world of five years to pursue my dream of owning my own floral business. It's ran solely by me right now, and I'm a team of one. The business has been successful, and I've been doing what I always dreamed of with it for just over a year now. I'm at a hard place right now, as some days I feel super fulfilled, and others I'm numb, going through the motions. Is this typical for anyone, even if they are super passionate, even if they are super passionate about what they do? So um, I never would use the word numb, but there are definitely days, like I was mentioning earlier, where I actively want to punch myself in the mouth because there are just things that I have to do that are so tedious and boring or just outright painful or whatever, and I really don't want to be doing them. And in those moments, I have to remind myself that. What I'm building, my why, the reason that I'm doing all of this is so important to me. And quite frankly, just like letting all of the like important and you should want to help people and all that bullshit and just setting it aside for a second. It's fucking rad. I love helping people. That shit is fun. And seeing people light up like that is so cool. So thinking about how 
dope it would be to actually build this studio and to pull this off and to help people at scale. Oh my God. Like, so when you have something like that, that you're legitimately amped up, you're not saying it because it's cool or it's socially relevant or it looks good on your Instagram feed. You're saying it because for whatever fucking reason, the things you've chosen to value, the way that you've grown up, all of that leads you to the thing that you're pursuing is super fucking rad. And so if making flowers is awesome and you've got a willingness to fight through the numb days, to get back to those days, great, then we're doing the right thing. So now, how do we address the numb days? The way that we address the numb days is we're going to, one, try to identify exactly what is happening. What is going on on the days that you feel numb? Is there a biochemical thing that's happening? Is it something that's related to your diet? Is it a lack of exercise? Like, is there something going on there that feeds into that? Is it task-oriented? Is there just certain things in your business you don't like doing? Could you afford to hire somebody that maybe has a a natural um, personality inclination towards enjoying the things you hate doing. Um, That is huge. In fact, can I, Carlotta, who is our bookkeeper, and by the way, oh, I don't know if she's announcing it. She has a cool announcement. I'll let her decide if she wants that uh, said in an AMA. But she is astonishing, amazing, and the job that she does is so hateful, and I could never bear the thought of having to do that for my job. I can't imagine. So, My gratitude for her knows no bounds. And she is very good at her job, which is another just extraordinary tick on her side. So there is somebody that you can find that you can either give ownership in the business if you can't afford to pay them. And trust me, I know it hurts to give up like a percentage of your company. People really get stuck on that. But let me tell you, if you're having one or two numb days now, that becomes three and four, it becomes 30 and 50, it becomes 100, and then suddenly it's 365 days and you're not having fun anymore and you would have been much better off giving some portion, even a massive portion, even half of your company to somebody else as long as you know them well. There are huge caveats with partners, but if you know them well, then it can be just an absolute lifesaver. I have never done a business, I think that's true, where I didn't have partners. So that is something for me, I like having partners and that way there's somebody doing the things that I don't want to do. So um, that would be my advice. Read the book, E-Myth Revisited. I think it will help tremendously. All right, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. If you're only listening to this in the podcast, by the way, rate and review would be magically delicious. That helps this grow. All right, until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.